Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Well, today I admit that I am shamelessly going to lever Remembrance Day being tomorrow into the message today. But uh, I, I, I don't think anyone here will be too offended by that since we all are wearing red poppies and truly do have an appreciation for those who have served and have really laid down more than most of us will ever understand uh, for the sake of other people's freedom. And I think we just take a moment this morning. I know we do have a few people in our church who have served uh, in the armed forces, and I I won't call you out by name, uh, but, uh, well, I'll call Mike out by name, but just Mike, because I know he doesn't like it, but I really like to stretch him that way. We really are truly thankful as as people, as a church family, for what you've done. I had several great uncles who served uh, the Canadian forces through the Second World War, um, and um, I will never, I'll never forget, uh, specifically my Uncle Darren, who every, every year in November would stand in church on Sunday morning with his medals and uniform and watch as he relived some of the things he went through and relived the losses that he experienced uh, in his friends and his own families. And it bothers me today that in this society that we claim is so free, we seem to be forgetting the cost of freedom. And it bothers me that parents are raising children in utter disregard to what that sacrifice is really worth. It bothers me that politicians exploit people's emotions during this time for their own agendas, and it bothers me in general that there can be so much division in a nation that was so unified for the sake of others' freedom. All that being said, tomorrow as we take the time specifically to remember, in whichever way you do, I know some of you will attend services, some of you uh, may, may be with family, but wherever we are tomorrow as we remember this, let us remember with all sincerity, the true cost of what it is for us to be able to stand here and preach the gospel freely, for what it is for us to be able to worship publicly, to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit publicly without fear of being thrown in prison or fear of being executed. We celebrate on November 11th because back in 1918, it was the day that the armistice was signed to end the First World War. It was official, but the word officially does not necessarily or automatically agree or align with the word reality. I cannot doubt the depth of the sacrifice anyone makes when they agree to go to war. And what's more, is when I think about it, the call to action is one thing, but can you actually, or have you ever taken the time to appreciate not only those who died, but how about appreciate those who survived? Now, take this from my heart, not from your cynical point of view, if you're a cynic. But those who die are dead. I know that's profound. But those who live, they have to live with what they saw. And they live with what they remember. They live with what they felt. 
and they live with all of those sensations over and over and over again. And in a nation, and I'll try to keep any political tone out of this, but in a nation where I don't feel that we're doing a very good job taking care of our service members, I find it difficult to stand with everyone else and pat ourselves on the back for doing a good job of taking care of those who survive. War is a horrible and unspeakably ugly thing. Can you imagine being Canadian servicemen or servicewoman in the days after the First or Second World War, knowing that an agreement of peace has been reached? And I think specifically of November 11th in 1918, just a month and a few days before Christmas. Can you just imagine with me on that day the celebration that would take place when through the officers and through the ranks of the military force you began to realize that it was over and that you had probably just survived, probably just survived the war. Only to be forced to wait, in many cases, months before you would be allowed to go home and see your loved ones. I can't imagine if it was me in those boots, standing there thinking, we, we did it, we, we held out, and, you know, I've heard men who have fought in that kind of conflict talk about how, you know, it, it really becomes apolitical, it really, it really becomes not about, not about social consequence. It doesn't become about the people you're fighting against. It really becomes about the people you're fighting for. Those one or two on either side of you that you're, standing, that you're surviving with, that you're facing unspeakable horror with, it really just becomes about the ones standing next to you. In other words, all of the other peripheral things begin to fall away. But can you imagine surviving all of that only to be ordered back to the camp that you were just imprisoned in to wait for the structured demilitarization of that area. This is why I say this morning, maybe we ought to remember survivors too. Maybe we ought to really take a look at those who have lived through and made it back. There are many men and women who live through but really psychologically never make it back to their families in the same way. There are, there are things that happen to people and there are things that they see that forever alter their ability to relate to their wife or to their children the same way again. And I'm not saying that in a way that damns anyone or, or belittles the sacrifice or belittles what they went through. I say it even more to establish our need to understand the cost. I was just doing a little peripheral reading tonight or sorry, last night, this morning, uh, in preparing for the message today. And I read about, in 1918, the riots that began to take place among the ranks of British, Canadian, American, Australian soldiers uh, because they were ordered back. They were ordered to get back on the boat and go the opposite direction of home. And I can't imagine what that would have been like. But there's something in men and women, because we're created in the image of God, that allows us to go deeper and further 
than we ever thought we could. And while I say I can't imagine being ordered to get back on a boat and go the opposite direction of home after a war had ended, I can understand. But more than my understanding matters, maybe it's my respect for those men and women who are able to follow through on that order. To wait through Christmas in Germany while your family got to celebrate Christmas at home. To be the one who waited, to be the officer who waited and allowed the injured and the sick and even the lowly private to get on the boat and get home before you did. We're amazing creations we are as human beings. And because we're made in the image of God, when we are really pressed and we are really taken to a place where more depth is required, even though we don't know it most of the time, we are truly capable of more depth. That's why this series is called Deeper. And today we're going to be talking about a word. It's passion. It's passion. I hope you don't think that it's a shameless thing for the church to leverage the reality of war and sacrifice for a sermon. When it comes to life and death, there is no, there is no separation of church and state. Just, just, just for clarity. Politics, we can argue about that. In social structures, in social disagreements, we can argue all we want about the separation of church and state. But when it comes to actually living and actually dying, there is no separation. And so today, as we talk about this concept of deeper and the reality of what passion does to us, for us, through us, I would like us to consider this. The reality that we live in is that there will never be any true peace in this world until Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has his way sovereignly in the hearts of men. Now, I know many preachers have said that before me, and many will continue to say it long after I'm gone. But nonetheless, it will always be true. Until Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is sovereign in the hearts of every man, woman, and child, there can be no lasting peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Now most of you, if you've been to a Christmas service, you're going to have heard this passage before. But Isaiah chapter 9, 6 says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now I want us to remember that we're talking about this today with the awareness of being called or living in the reality of deeper. There are expectations there are, that, that are deeper than what we are presently walking in. 
There is a, a love that is deeper than the love we experience right now. There, there's a worship that is much, much deeper than the worship we are experiencing right now. And there is a passion that is even deeper still for God and for other people. So first off, the, the Prince of Peace. Just because the English translates that word as prince doesn't mean it's anything less than the fullness of God in all of eternity. I often have thought about that. You know, why isn't he called the King of Peace? And I realize that it's simply a great English writer using a little something called alliteration. He's the Prince of Peace. In the Hebrew, that word is translated a little differently. And basically, if I could just boil it down for you, it's, it's, it's translated many times as commander. In fact, the most times it's translated in the Hebrew, it's translated as the word commander. But that doesn't, that's way too military for Christians, you know? He's the commander of peace. No, I like Prince of Peace better. Let's go with Prince. How about the Chief of Peace? The Chief of Peace. That's another way it's translated multiple times in other parts of the Bible. But no, we're, we're, we're going to go with Prince of, Prince of Peace. And then my favorite one probably is the Chief Commander yeah. of Peace. Yeah. <laughs> He's the chief commander of peace. And I think that we need to realize something. In this day and age where everyone seems to be, with regard to some aspect of society, completely and utterly anti-authoritarian. That means, even in my life, there are things, there are authorities in place over my existence that I absolutely do not enjoy. All right? And that's just it. There are authorities in place over my life and my freedom, if you will, that I do not enjoy. In fact, I even despise some of those authorities. Nonetheless, I am under that authority. Are you with me still? Now, I know normally I would let you laugh before we get this deep, and I would give you some relief, but I'm not going to give you a lot of relief today. Um. Listen, now this, this is a reality that the church needs to live out loud. Not preach it on Facebook, but needs to live this out loud. Listen to me very carefully. Peace is installed and maintained by authority. Think on that. Is there any other way that peace comes to you other than its establishment in authority? Let me give you an example of why I think this is profoundly true. When my children, who are far too old to still be fighting each other, fight each other relentlessly for days on end, what is it that brings peace in my household? It's not video games. It's not a spirit of freedom or a spirit of liberty, although sometimes my wife likes to try that attempt. It's not bribing. It's not food. It's not a gift. In fact, it's not even overly kind words. When my children fight for days on end and peace finally comes to my home, it's because authority steps in and establishes peace. 
Now listen, this is why this is so important for us to understand. If you're sitting in church this morning and you're someone who struggles with anxiety, anxiety is the robber of peace. The only thing that will bring your anxiety into submission is authority. You with me? You understand why I'm saying it this way this morning. It's, this is profoundly true. The only thing that will subdue your anxiety is putting anxiety into the authority or under the authority of what is rational and right. Now, if we all got this, I think we'd be in a totally different place as a church and probably as a nation. But you see, we kind of get anti-authoritarian. I just like saying authoritarian today for some reason. We get anti-establishment. We don't like the establishments of authority. But the truth is, is the peace that we know, the peace we can have, and all peace that we will ever enjoy will only ever be established by people's willingness to live under authority. Now, in the grand scheme of things, this isn't very hard for us to digest because we know reading the end of this book we call the Bible, we see that Jesus wins. And that every knee will bow to his authority at the end. And at that point in time, when all of us bow to the one who sustains all things by the power of his word, as scripture teaches, there's going to be a lot of peace. Because we won't be fighting against the word that's sustaining us. It's, <laughs> we fight against the things that sustain us all the time. And all the smokers should say Amen. Smoking to me is one of those things. Now, I do enjoy the smell of a nice cigar. Let me be one of the first to say that. There is nothing like that sweet, warm, tobacco-y smell, and I know five people need to run out and have a cigarette right now because I said that. I tempted you. But as much as I love the smell of it, it would be a contradiction for me to go and breathe all of those wonderful things into my lungs. See, I'm, I'm working against the authority that Jesus spoke into my existence. My lungs are not made to breathe smoke. No more than my lungs are made to breathe water. My lungs can breathe a little bit of water, but it's really not that good for me. Don't even get me started on vaping, which is literally your lungs trying to breathe H2O. And who knows what else they put in there. You see, that, that just is one example. There's many ways. We, we try to work. We try to go against authority. Or you might say it this way. We try to go against what we know is good for us. This is why we live in an age of total confusion with regards to everything about how we're made. Because I reject all authority. But when we reject, when we reject all authority, we will never know peace. We just won't. Because all authority... All authority does, truly, is establish peace. Authority, authority does not maim. Authority does not injure. Authority does not mistreat. There are actions under authority that do those things, but authority itself does not hurt anyone. And we need to understand that because those of us who fight against authority are fighting against the wrong thing. We can fight against the actions that come under assumed authority, but we cannot fight against authority. All right. Secondly, when we read about the government of his peace increasing, we think that's good. Yeah, Jesus will be on the throne forever. The government and his government and his peace will know no end. 
and it's going to be all happy, and it's going to be all great one day, and it's going to be amazing, but we never really stop and consider uh, the how. What does the Bible say in Isaiah? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. It's one thing I'm going to talk to you about authority on Remembrance Day, and let's really value authority. How about let's value zeal? Zeal. What is zeal? That's not a word we use commonly, and if we do, it's honestly used usually in some sort of uh, kind of a negative representation, you know? That guy at work that's kind of trying too hard but really just annoying everyone, we're like, yeah, he's zealous. That's kind of the only way I really hear that word used anymore, which is weird since I really only work with myself. I wonder who they're talking about. Um, but the word uh, zeal in the Hebrew, just remember it this way, quinoa. Now, it's not really quinoa in the Hebrew. It's kina, but I thought, you know, because it kind of has a Q thing going on, that's just what I remember. The, the Hebrew word for zeal is quinoa. And uh, that might make it easier for you to remember. But now, this is really interesting to me. Zeal is translated as anger, envy, jealousy, passion, rivalry, and, and then zeal, of course. That word quinoa. Anger, envy, ze- jealousy, passion, rivalry, or zeal. Now, this might surprise you, but by far, more than half of the times it's used in the entire Old Testament, that word quinoa, The word they choose for English is jealousy. Interesting. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. See, we're all for Jesus and the government increasing and peace. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Peace. But what accomplishes peace? Well, it's it's zeal. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. If I could say it to you really plainly, peace will be established by God's anger, God's envy, God's jealousy, God's passion, God's rivalry, and God's zeal. That's how he's going to accomplish peace. And I know that sometimes we struggle with that because a lot of those words kind of have a negative connotation when we think about them. But really, what we need to come back to is that it is nothing less than passion to strive for what is right. Nothing less than passion should be our motivation for what we strive for in our relationship with Jesus or with one another. There's this deeper passion that causes men and women to lay down their lives for their country. That's a deeper passion, and I fear it's a deeper passion than many people in the present generations are capable of understanding. And sometimes, if I can just be really honest with our church, I'm worried that it's not clicking for us either. A deeper passion. for what Jesus has done for us. A deeper passion for what this freedom cost someone. A different passion. A different zeal. I think that if you and I would really like to honor today and tomorrow 
and maybe even for the next week, or maybe year-round. If we'd really like to honor those who have given so much for our freedom, then we need to move deeper into that freedom. With zeal, with passion, with jealousy, with a little bit of anger from time to time. Yes, and I'm not speaking politically in any way. I'm just talking about that, that gut desire to reach for better things for the, for, for the people around us. We're pretty good at reaching in a gut desire for the things that are going to benefit us, but how about reaching with an intensity, a passion, a zealousness for the things that will make our community truly better? How about reaching back and understanding and grasping the true nature of the sacrifices made by the people who have gone before us? One day when I'm dead and gone, I hope whoever is running Generations Church will appreciate the hard work that Amy and I put into it. Because when we learn to think long, we don't just build for now, we build for the future. And no one goes into war and lays down their life because it's the immediate and only thing to do. What it becomes about in the trenches, in the moment of conflict where everyone's life is on the line, it becomes about the person beside you and not just their immediate safety, but their future safety. Because what's the point of keeping someone alive for one second if it's only the second? What, is, what, what drives us, what inspires us to keep the man or woman next to us alive and healthy is not their present, but their future. Do you remember the, the, the movie Saving Private Ryan? For sure, one of the best war movies made in my generation. Do you remember at the very, uh, one, one of the last scenes before they leave the field, when um, Dustin Hoffman's character, do, do you remember his, what are his famous words from that movie? Earn this. Two words. Two of the most profound words, I think, that have been written in a movie script ever. But I don't think they were only written in a movie script. I would venture that maybe even thousands upon thousands of times those words were said and thought in the heat of sacrifice, in the pressure of unspeakable things. We can be passionate about a lot of things today. We're passionate about hockey. Go Oilers. We're passionate. Oh, yeah, that was my level of passion. That was it right there. Uh, we're, we're passionate about which truck we're going to buy next. We are passionate about what, what song we should sing at church. We are passionate about a great love life with our, in our marriage. We're passionate about so many things. But I fear that we're not passionate about the most important things. And let me just spell it out for you. The most important place to start with your passion is with Jesus. That's where the most important place to start is. We're going to talk next Sunday about deeper worship. Because worship 
is about, sorry, two Sundays from now we're going to talk about that. Uh, worship is the expression of passion. Let me just say that again so you can study it for two weeks. Worship is the expression of passion. In other words, what you are passionate about is what you will worship. Now, what you habitually worship can also become your passion, but that's for that sermon. Considering where we're standing today, looking at tomorrow, thinking of the millions of people that will gather all over North America, in the United States, in Canada, over in Europe, to consider and remember the cost of our freedom today. My hope is that we would be people who begin to embrace with some zeal the true value. Zeal does not drive you to say things on Facebook that are crazy. Zeal does not drive you to become arrogant. Zeal should not drive you to become madly outspoken and overbearing. In fact, I would suggest to you that what zeal, what true passion should do is probably drive us to our knees. Because if we really care, we would go to war in the way that will actually cause us to win. Did you know that 10 million posts on your Facebook page will not amount to anything as much as five minutes in prayer? I'm serious. Five minutes on your knees in the presence of God will carry your life farther. It will bless the lives of people around you exponentially more than anything you can post to any social media platform. See, the reality is, is that passion misguided is still misguided. So just having passion isn't really enough. We, we need to take that passion, that zeal, that jealousy, that anger, all of those ways we translate that Hebrew word quinoa. We need to take that in a direction that honors the heart of God. And any other direction would be a misguided direction. I've read a lot of posts lately uh, because of some of the activism going on in our nation about stop picking on so-and-so. They're passionate. Isn't that what we want for our children? Is for our children to be passionate. Heck yeah, I want my kids to be passionate, but I want them to be passionate about something that is for sure true. I want them to be passionate about something that for sure matters. I don't want them to be passionate about our policy on such and such as a church. I don't want them to be passionate about our policy on how our family should get in and out of the shower, Logan. <laughs> Love you, son. That passion is a little misguided because who showers and when really doesn't change anybody else's life. Yeah, preacher, that's right. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Our passion needs to be pointed in a direction that honors God's heart. Everyone say, honor God's heart. That's, that's the most important thing. Honor God's heart. As you read the scripture, learn his heart. Honor his heart. You might be sitting here this morning and you don't have a relationship with your heavenly father through Jesus Christ. I just want you to know it is so simple. 
Jesus is not asking you to get it all right and come to him. Jesus is not asking you to have great theology or every bit of understanding about who he is so you can justify putting your faith in him. Jesus simply asks that you come and follow him and see where that goes. The disciples did not have good theology when they began to follow Jesus. In fact, even after three years personally under his ministry, they still had some bad theology until the Holy Spirit came and straightened it out for them. So you might be sitting here going, well, I just don't understand. Pastor, I don't understand some of the things I think I need to understand to become a follower of Jesus. No. In fact, let me just say this. The less you understand, the easier it is for you to become a follower of Jesus and then let him inform the rest of your decisions along the way. It would be the best decision you ever made. I can promise you that because it's been true for me and it's been true for hundreds of other people in this church. We're going to take a moment right now this morning and offer you the opportunity to be prayed for. We do that every Sunday morning here at Generations Church. And the band is going to come. We're going to play one last song. We're going to sing that song. And I I would hope that you don't rush out and leave during this time because it really is an important part of what we do in this church service. Maybe you're sick this morning. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. Maybe you have a need that you haven't even talked to anybody else about yet. But I just want you to understand this, that a moment praying with someone in the presence of God can dramatically alter the outcome of your future. It can change right here today in this moment because our God hears our prayers and he is a God of miracles and he is a God of amazing and wonderful things and he likes to do those things for us. I think we should also just take one brief moment and ask the Holy Spirit this really important question. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And let's each one of us just bow our heads in this moment. And I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to ask the question, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Not not my wife to do, not my husband, not my kids, but personal. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? You can offer that prayer up in your mind if you want to. You can offer that prayer out loud, but why don't you just do that? Take 30 seconds. Let's ask him. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? Holy Spirit, as we make room for you to speak to us, we pray that you would help us to hear you. God, just speak to our hearts in this moment. I pray that you'd remind us of the cost, Lord. Jesus, you remind us of the value of what we have as a nation. People who follow you. God, even in this moment, we just we lift every service member that's represented in our church, whether it's in person or through family extension. God, we lift them to you. We pray today that you would comfort them in their mourning, that you would strengthen them in their physical bodies. 
Lord, that you would reinforce them mentally at this time. God, that you would put people in their pathway to help them find their way to you and find their way to peace. Lord, we speak hope into the traumatic situations and the traumatic memories that exist. God, we ask that you would let healing begin to pour over all over our nation this morning, God, for those who continually suffer because of what they've been through, because of that cost that we're trying to value today. Lord, I also pray for each person here, Lord, anyone that needs to respond today, that you would give them the courage to respond. And Jesus, for anyone who needs to accept you today, God, that you would You'd give them the courage right now to respond to you and to choose to say, yes, I'm going to follow you even though I don't understand it. You know, I don't have it all together. I'm going to take the step and follow you. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.